This is in dark places. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Everywhere you want to be. Up in a little town called Sutton, West Virginia, they're having West Virginia's one and only Bigfoot Festival on June 24th and 25th. And I just might make the drive up there. I don't know yet. It's about two and a half hours away from me. But I might do it. I don't know. But if you're in the area, yeah, by all means, go check out the Bigfoot Festival. Here is your Nicholas Cage Meltdown of the Week. First punch, you go down. <laughs> Splat! That's you! Detective, That's you. you either arrest him or I'm going to ask you to leave. What would I arrest him for? What would I arrest you for? Getting up too quick? <laughs> what? What? Come on, I saw you and you saw me. And don't pretend like you don't know who I am, girly man. You want to look like a knockout, but when you heard the gunshots, your eyes were open in half a second. Now you fall. Totally understandable reaction, but it kind of ruined the performance, don't you think? Look, what do you want from me? The man knocked me out! I looked at the fight tape, Lincoln! Yeah! It was a phantom punch! A little bad Hollywood acting, but the athletic commission might find it interesting. And a second after you go down, an assassin fires. Well, that's some coincidence. I guess they don't call you the executioner for nothing! And you signed my kid's autograph! Mr. Haunted for In Dark Places News. Two people rescued after getting stuck in chocolate tank at M&M's factory. Two people who fell into a tank of chocolate at an M&M's Mars factory in Pennsylvania have been rescued. Penn Live reported that two people who became trapped in the tank were pulled out by emergency responders Thursday afternoon. Their names were not disclosed. They were identified only as workers at the confectionery facility. Earlier reports stated that the two employees fell into the tank around 1.51 p.m. at the Mars facility on the 200 block of Brown Street in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. The two were uninjured but unable to escape from the vat full of waist-high chocolate on their own. They were taken to a local hospital after getting unstuck. Why, why are you taking them to a hospital? Hey, what you here for? Fell into chocolate. We can confirm both people have been taken off-site for further evaluation. We're extremely grateful for the quick work of first responders, a Mars spokesman said. Mars produces M&M's, Snickers, Skittles, and other candies at its factories, it's unclear if production will be affected by the incident. Augustus Gloop became a trending topic on social media afterwards, as many compared the incident to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Roald Dahl book, and uh, its movie adaptations. The story features visitors to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, including a boy, well, might be a little, little plump, named Augustus Gloop, who fell into a river of chocolate and then became stuck. The original 1971 movie starred Peter Ostrom, who now works as a veterinarian in upstate New York, as young golden ticket winner Charlie Bucket, opposite Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. 
Uh, and guess what else? And there's also a Tim Burton uh, movie, 2005, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, starring Johnny Depp. And guess what? There is an upcoming prequel called Wonka. We'll look forward to that. What do you get when you guzzle down sweets? Eating as much as an elephant eats. What are you at getting terribly fat? What do you think will come of that? Hey, that seems completely understandable to me. I could use a little swim and some chocolate. Here's some good news. Google Sidelines Engineer who claims its AI is sentient. By Nico Grant and Cade Metz. Thanks, Nico and Cade. Google placed an engineer on paid leave recently after dismissing his claim that an artificial intelligence is sentient. Blake Limanon, a senior software engineer in Google's responsible AI organization, said in an interview that he was put on leave Monday. The company's human resources department said that he had violated Google's confidentiality policy. The day before suspension, Mr. Limanon said he had handed over documents to a U.S. Senator's office claiming they provided evidence that Google and its technology engaged in religious discrimination. Google said its systems imitated controversial exchanges and could riff off different topics, but did not have consciousness. For months, Mr. Lamon had tussled with Google managers, executives, and human resources over his surprising claims that the company's language model for dialogue applications, or LAMDA, had consciousness and a soul. Google says hundreds of its researchers and engineers have conversed with Lambda, an internal tool, and researched a different conclusion than Mr. Lamon did. Most AI experts believe the industry is a very long way from computing sentience. Some AI researchers have long made optimistic claims about these technologies, soon reaching sentience, but many others are extremely quick to dismiss these claims. If you use these systems, you would never say such things, said Ahmad Kamwaja, a researcher at the University of California, Berkeley, and the University of California, San Francisco, who is exploring similar technologies. Mr. Lamon, a military veteran who has described himself as a priest, ex-convict, and AI researcher told Google executives as senior as Kent Walker, the president of Global Affairs, that he believed Lambda was a child of seven or eight years old. He wanted the company to seek the computer program's consent before running experiments on it. His claims were founded on his religious beliefs, which he said the company's human resources department discriminated against. They have questioned my sanity. They said, have you been checked by a psychiatrist recently? He said, in the month before he was placed on administrative leave, the company had suggested he take a mental health leave. Jan Lacoon, the head of AI research at Meta, and a key figure in the rise of 
Neutral Network said in an interview this week that these types of systems are not powerful enough to attain true intelligence. Google's technology is what scientists call a neutral network, which is a mathematical system that learns skills by analyzing large amounts of data. By pinpointing patterns in thousands of cat photos, for example, it can learn to recognize a cat. Over the past few years, Google and other leading companies have designed neutral networks that learned from enormous amounts of prose, including unpublished books and Wikipedia articles by the thousands. These large language models can be applied to many tasks. They can summarize articles, answer questions, generate tweets, and even write blog posts. But they are extremely flawed. Sometimes they generate perfect prose. Sometimes they generate nonsense. The systems are very good at recreating patterns they have seen in the past, but they cannot reason like a human. This ship cannot be crewed by two men. You'll never make it out of the bay. Son, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Savvy. Well, Johnny Depp is in the news again this week. A drunk woman in England yelling, I'm Jack Sparrow, takes Devon River Ferry for a boat-bashing joyride. A British woman will be spending 112 days behind bars for drunkenly shouting at police officers, I'm Jack Sparrow, and stealing a commercial river ferry. Alison Whalen had been uh, on a two-day booze bender and had taken a form of hallucinogen before stealing the Painton Pleasure Cruises Dart Princess in Devon, England on September 10th. Whalen, 51, boarded the 45-foot ferry with a friend and untied the mooring ropes, drifting upriver and bashing into other boats like a pinball machine. When police responded, the drunken woman began taunting officers for being out of their jurisdiction. She also informed police, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow, the pirate protagonist played by Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Police chased Whalen for more than two hours, requiring the help of the Coast Guard and local lifeboat service. The ferry sustained about $2,500 worth of damage from colliding with other vessels during the chase. The fact is, had circumstances been different tide-wise, it could have been serious, said Ashley Lane, operations manager for Painton Pleasure Cruises. Son, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Hey, Jimmy, what are we going to call this episode? At the end of the day, nobody cares if you have a title of this and they have good stories in it anyway. You can, you can name it anything. You can name it... Um, Name it, name the next episode Frogface. We shall call him Frogface. That has nothing to do with frogs or faces. Thank you. This is a story from our friend Michelle. My friend Destiny had always talked about her house being haunted. Hearing voices, things moving, doors shutting. Whatever it was made her very uncomfortable. One weekend in the middle of the summer, her grandparents went out of town for the night. She didn't feel comfortable being alone, so she asked me to stay the night with her. I had a sprained ankle at the time, so 
had my mother drop me off. When we went to bed, I stayed on the downstairs couch while she slept in her bedroom. At 3.20 a.m., I felt a pressure on my foot and like my foot was on fire. Like someone had one hand in the center of my foot and the other hand around my ankle, twisting each hand in opposite directions. I quickly pulled off the wrap around my ankle. It was bright red, like I had just had it in a bucket of really hot water. I shoved my foot in between the cushions of the couch to cool it down. And I spoke aloud. You have no right to target me. And if you continue to do so, I will force you out of this home. Harming the living is not tolerated. The pressure stopped and the pain eased. I laid back down and went back to sleep. I told my friend about it the next morning and to let me know if she or her grandparents encounter any negative responses from the entity. No harm was done to anyone else in the house after that. Very cool. Michelle saved the day. And thank you, Michelle. Great story, as always. Breaking news! Accused Queen's duck sauce killer's refrigerator was filled with the Chinese food condiment says NYPD source. A condiment-obsessed Queens murder suspect hoarded sweet and sour duck sauce in his refrigerator, but not enough to stop him from killing a Chinese food delivery worker in a feud over his wish for more, a police source said Tuesday. When cops opened accused killer Glenn Hirsch's refrigerator, they found it full of items to flavor up his food, including lots of duck sauce of the kind given away by Chinese restaurants in the little plastic packets. His whole refrigerator was filled with duck sauce and other condiments. He's a hoarder, and when you open the refrigerator, it's like condiments. There's duck sauce, soy sauce, ketchup. Hirsch, 51, was busted last week on charges of shooting dead Dead, dead, dead. She went Yan, 45, on April 30th in Forest Hills after stalking Yan's restaurant for weeks over his demand for more duck sauce and what the Queen's DA called an obsessive point of contention. Police said they had been building a case against Hirsch ever learning he had been involved in ongoing tensions with the manager of the Great Wall Restaurant starting last November 30th when he was furious. There wasn't enough duck sauce for him to take home with his meal. Indeed, after Hirsch was indicted and busted, police searched his apartment on 141st Street in Jamaica. They found in his refrigerator evidence of just how obsessed he is with these condiments. I guess in some pathology, people like that take your stuff very seriously. You don't give him enough duck sauce, said the police source. Hirsch, who had 10 prior sealed arrests, has pleaded not guilty and is being held without bail. Police said the night of the murder, he circled the block of the restaurant a number of times, then followed Jan as he drove off on a scooter 
to make a delivery before shooting him on the street. Hirsch has not been charged with a hate crime in this case. You know, listeners, Junebug. Yes, sir. I remember as a young little boy, it would be a big treat to go get Chinese food like once a year. Go to the restaurant and have the little candles and lights and little fishies on the, in the tank. And then you open up the menu and you see poo-poo platter. Am I the only one here? Eyes burst out laughing. Ma, they have poo-poo platter here? Poop. I'm getting poo-poo platter. I don't even care what it is. I'm getting it. Anyway, uh, I should conduct myself in a serious manner here. But uh, that's the story about the uh, duck sauce killer out of New York. Back to In Dark Places. And now we got another cool story from our friend Autumn. We used to have a storage shed. And the people next to ours had closed theirs out and had partially emptied it out there was a beautiful mirror it had some soot on it like it had been in a fire we got it home and started having weird things happen the cord on the back was broken so I just put it in the bedroom behind the bookshelf I had come into the living room one night to go into the bathroom and heard children laughing in the direction from the bedroom It stayed in there a while. One day, we were cleaning that room out and moved the mirror out and found mold on the wall behind it. I fixed the cord and found a spot to hang it on the wall. It wasn't there long and I found mold growing on the wall behind it again. I ended up putting it on the back porch and we started hearing knocking on the back porch. There was never anyone there. I finally just got rid of it. Thanks, Autumn. Very creepy. Well, this is news to me. Uh, we've all... Okay, this is called the Nevada Triangle. A Trap in the Mountains. Though most of us have heard of the Bermuda Triangle, where planes and ships have mysteriously gone missing in the Atlantic Ocean for decades, not all are aware that there is a similar place in Nevada. Lying in a region of the Sierra Nevada Mountains in Nevada and California, some 2,000 planes have been lost in the last 60 years. How come I haven't heard of this? In this remotely populated area of more than 25,000 miles of mountain desert, Many crash sites are never found. The triangle is typically defined as Las Vegas, Nevada, in the southeast to Fresno, California, in the west, and Reno, Nevada, at the top. Within this rugged wildness is the mysterious top-secret Area 51. Coincidence? Along with the dozens of conspiracy theories that include UFOs, Paranormal activities surrounding the Air Force Base, similar theories have been long considered regarding the Nevada Triangle. Many of the missing planes were flown by experienced pilots throughout these many years and disappeared under mysterious circumstances, with the wreckage never found. One such plane to go missing 
with that of a record-setting aviator, sailor, and adventurer named Stephen Fawcett on September 3, 2007. Fawcett, flying a single-engine Balanca Super Decathlon over Nevada's Great Basin Desert, took off and never returned. After hunting for a month for the plane, the search was called off, and on February 15, 2008, Fawcett was declared dead. Later that year, on September 29th, Fawcett's identification cards were discovered in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California by a hiker. A few days later, the crash site was discovered approximately 65 miles from where the aviator initially took off. Two bones were later recovered a half mile from the crash site, which was found to have been belonged to Steve Fawcett. One of the earliest planes lost in the triangle includes a story dating back 70 years when a B-24 bomber crashed in the Sierra Nevada mountains in 1943. The bomber, taking flight on December 5th, was piloted by 2nd Lieutenant Willis Turvey and co-piloted by 2nd Lieutenant Robert Hester. Carried four other crew members, including uh, four other people. The flight was a routine night training mission, taking off from Fresno, uh, Fresno's California's Hammer Field, destined to Bakersfield, California. An extensive search mission began the next day when nine B-24 bombers were sent out to find the missing plane. However, rather than finding it, yet another bomber went missing. On the morning of December 6th, 1943, Squadron Commander Captain William Darden lifted off along with eight other B-24s. Captain Darden, his airplane, and the remaining crew would not be seen until 1955 when Huntington Lake Reservoir was drained for repairs to the dam. The investigation into the second bomber's loss stated that Darden had experienced high wind turbulence and began to lose hydraulic pressure. When the captain saw what looked like a snow-covered clearing, he told his crew to bail out, but only two jumped. The investigation stated that the pilot must have mistaken the frozen lake for a clearing, However, the two soldiers who parachuted from the plane and survived made statements that the lake was not frozen. When the plane was finally found, it was resting 190 feet below the water with its five crew members still at their stations. In the meantime, Clinton Hester, the co-pilot's father, Robert Hester, and the first missing plane began a private search for a son that would last for the next 14 years. When he died of a heart attack in 1959, he still had not found his son or any missing plane evidence. A year later, however, it would be found in July 1960. Some geological survey researchers were working in a remote section of the High Sierra, west of Lacante Canyon and Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. There they found airplane wreckage in and near an unnamed lake. Later, Army investigators revealed the wreckage to be that of the first missing bomber, piloted by 2nd Lieutenant Willis Turvey and by that Robert Hester. The lake is now known as Hester Lake. I wonder if it's haunted, because this is how you get haunted lakes. Another military plane went missing on May 9, 1957, when Air Force Lieutenant David Steves was piloting a T-33 training jet taking off from Hamilton Air Force Base near San Francisco. The plane disappeared on a flight to Arizona 
After a thorough search without success, the Air Force declared the 23-year-old pilot officially dead. However, 54 days later, the pilot reappeared. Gaunt and dressed in tattered and filthy clothing, he had made his way to a camp in Kings Canyon National Park's backcountry east of Fresno, California. He described that when something in the plane exploded, he briefly blacked out, but came to in time to eject from his plane, badly injuring both ankles when he landed. Dragging his parachute to help him keep warm, he crawled over 20 miles in the freezing temperatures at 12,000 foot elevation for 15 days without food or shelter. Finally, he came upon an abandoned National Park Service cabin where he found a few cans of food and fishing equipment. He then survived by fishing and killing a deer with his pistol. After regaining some of his strength, tried to make it to civilization, during which time he nearly drowned in the King's River before stumbling upon a pack train guide who took him by horse to civilization. Though clearly a brave man, some question his story due to his disappearance occurring in the midst of the Cold War and because no remains of his plane could ever be found. It wasn't until 1977 that Boy Scouts found his jet's canopy, but the plane's wreckage had never been found. In 1941, Lieutenant Leonard Leiden parachuted to safety after his Army fighter squadron got lost over the mountains. His P-40 fell within a mile of where he landed in the remote Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. To this day, that wreckage has never been found. Another famous case was uh, missing aviator Charles Ogle, a wealthy real estate developer who lifted off from Oakland, California in August 1964, but vanished en route to Las Vegas, Nevada. The Marine trained pilot was never seen or heard from again, and his plane has never been found. On July 11th, 1986, Major Ross Mulhair flew an F-117 into a mountain near Bakersfield, California. The cause of the crash has never been officially revealed. So what is it exactly that's causing aircraft to go missing within the Nevada Triangle? Conspiracy theorists have long claimed the reason so many flights have disappeared is connected to the presence of Area 51, where the U.S. Air Force is known to test secret prototype aircraft. But Many experts believe the disappearances can be attributed to the area's geography and atmospheric conditions. The Sierra Nevada mountains run perpendicular to the jet stream or high Pacific winds, which conspire with the sheer high-altitude peaks and wedge-shaped range to create volatile, unpredictable winds and downdrafts. This weather phenomenon is sometimes called the mountain wave, where planes are seemingly ripped from the air and crashed. Other theories include pilot error, inexperienced pilots getting caught in turbulence, and the disorienting mountain terrain. Holy mackerels. The Nevada Triangle. Hey, maybe that explains those Fresno night crawlers. They're like trapped in some kind of a weird dimension or some junk and only their legs are coming through to this side because the rest of their bodies are trapped in a different dimension. Makes sense. Hey, speaking of parallel universes, proof of a parallel universe? 
Nazi coin from 2039 in Mexico sparks bizarre theories. For a long time, alternative universes have been used as a plot for a novel or simply a story for a movie. But many wonder what their life would be like in a parallel universe or an alternative version of themselves in another dimension. For what, scientists have also spent time investigating the potential of alternative realities for decades. Over the years, scientists have exposed multiple theories, some of which have tangible evidence to back them up. So, if any of these theories are correct, there is a universe somewhere different from ours. One of the most popular theories of this alternative universe is string theory. According to this theory, we live in a multiverse of nine dimensions, with only three visible. Since we only exist in three dimensions, our universe would look flat like a sheet of paper. That'd be a good one for the flat earthers to try to figure out. What if there's a flat universe? Plot twist. On the other hand, how the other dimensions would expand would be along with the timeless and possible situations. That said, alternative versions of our world could be almost identical or different. However, it is only about theories. But what will happen if someone discovers evidence of the existence of parallel universes? A video posted on YouTube in April 2018 shows a man who claims to have discovered a Nazi coin, apparently from the year 2039. Okay, so is this a parallel universe or is it time travel? Because it's from 2039, that's the future, right? I don't know. Diego Alvarez found the mysterious coin in Warwick, in Mexico. Alvarez explains that what caught his attention was when he read the inscriptions he saw the year 2039. Above the imprinted year is the Rice-Saddler Nazi Party symbol, along with Nueva Alemania, which translates to New Germany. The flip side of the coin features the writing allies in Feiner Nation, which means all in one nation. A motto that would perfectly serve a country that has dominated the world. In Mexico, there is a state called Nueva Alemania, located in the municipality of La Cornacodia. Still, it is known that there is no record of the arrival of any Nazi currency. As the video went viral on the internet, Many conspiracy theorists have claimed that this future Nazi coin is solid proof of the existence of a parallel universe. Or time travel. Another section of conspiracy theorists argued that Germany would be a key player in World War III. They also added that Nazis living secretly in Antarctica would join Germany in the war, helping them triumph in World War III. Others argued that it is a coin of an alternative future where the Nazis conquered the world, developed time travel, and sent money back to the past, where certain currencies ended up in reality. Is it a coin from the future 
In the first place, there is no way of knowing if the year 2039 is written on the coin. At least, not with the images provided. The number 39 is precise, but it could be the year 1939. The two Reinsmark and five Reinsmark coins with the Nazi swastika were issued between 1938 and 1939. Then, it's a coin. A silver coin, supposedly from the year 2039. If it were an electronic device, or electronic currency, there would be some strong basis in the claim. However, we are talking about a nation that has managed to travel over time, and continues to use silver as currency in 2039, isn't much acceptable. I don't know, it seems fine to me. First, there is an inscription in Spanish that says New Germany. Mexico was never an ally of Nazi Germany. One explanation would be that it could be treated as a commemorative coin, but Mexico and Germany did not have any alliance. Moreover, Mexico declared war on Germany in 1942. In addition, no known Nazi coin has the inscription allies in finer nation. So, if it is not a montage, it is undoubtedly a great coin, even if it does not come from the future or a parallel universe. The truth is that there are strange stories about the Nazis, the hidden connections of Hitler and the supernatural Nazi bill. There are rumors that after the fall of Germany in 1945, some Nazis managed to establish secret bases in Antarctica that are still operational today. Perhaps the only explanation is that the Antarctic Nazis managed to develop trips in time or managed to travel through different realities. And that's going to do it for the show this week. Thanks again to Autumn and Michelle, and thanks as always to Jimmy Haunted. If you've got a cool story and you'd like to share and be a guest on the show, send an email to endarkplacespod at hotmail.com. We'll see you again next week. God bless you. You know, Junebug, if you make one person smile, once a day you did your job.